Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. It's time to break the silence and open up the dialogue around the topics of miscarriage and baby loss. No more shame. No more taboo. Let's ditch it for the sake of our children. The ones who are, the ones who will come. And in memory of the ones who never came to be. This is the Worst Girl Gang Ever podcast. Hi everyone and welcome to this episode of the Worst Girl Gang Ever. We are joined today by Katie. Thanks so much for joining us, Katie. Thanks for having me. It's nice to uh, yeah be able to chat to you guys about this. Yeah, yeah. it's lovely to have you here. It is. We... Um... We have, I think, we've covered um, the topic of neonatal loss so far in this series. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something that we need to be talking about more. So, I'm glad that you can be here to share your story. Do you want to start from the beginning? Um, tell us a bit about your your pregnancy. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, my husband and I decided to start trying for our family a couple of years ago Um, hadn't really been sure what we wanted to do in terms of having children for a long time we've been together about 11 years now Um, just thought it was the right time Um, so yeah got pregnant quite easily didn't have any troubles with that felt very lucky Um, I was 35 when I got pregnant so I was like oh you know slightly older I guess compared to what people say these days but um, felt okay had a very straightforward pregnancy everything was going well um never even considered something would go wrong because you're not obviously told about the things that can go wrong when you get pregnant rightly so because you you don't want to be worried um and then yeah just one day woke up with slight cramps and thought oh you know this must be those twinges everyone talks about went for a walk sort of had some breakfast a couple of hours later they were sort of still the same almost getting a bit stronger so I rang the local hospital um, yeah, and he decided to go into spontaneous. I, I went into spontaneous early labour. How many weeks pregnant were you at that? At this um, point? twenty-seven plus four, so just shy of the six months. So just before third trimester. Wow! And yeah. what was the initial? You know, was there disbelief? Was it panic? What What was going through your mind? I think just shock more than anything. I think. Um, it's funny until you until you're in a situation where you have to worry about more than one person you don't know how you're going to react so my initial worry was for me because I thought something was going wrong with with my body and then all of a sudden it dawned on me oh god like how's and we didn't know if we were having a boy or a girl at this point we didn't find out so it was it was a weird kind of transition through like am I okay and oh god now I've got to worry about like the baby like is, is the baby okay um, so I think, and same with Rob, it was just pure shock. I think he didn't even register 
what was going on until Aidan was was literally being born. I don't think he'd quite grasped what was happening. Um, and I was just in complete shock at the time. Mm. So what's the process if someone goes into early labour? What what do they do? So I, I rang the hospital. They were very sweet and very calm. Um, you know, I, I've had I had a good birthing experience with the, with our local hospital at, on the day Aidan arrived. Um, they called me in, said, try not to worry. It, it could just be Braxton Hicks style pain. It could be nothing. But, you know, come in. Um, I'd been to the toilet and there was the smallest amount of blood, but it was just so negligible. Um, I was like, oh, do I worry about this? But they said, come in. We want to check you over. Um the hospital's only a 10 minute drive from us. By the time I was there, the pain had started to increase. Still hadn't registered it was labor or contractions. Um, they put me in a side room. To me, it felt like I was in there for hours, but it was probably only 20 minutes maximum. Um, and they just came and did a couple of tests, um, tried to sort of see if I was dilated, sort of found out I was three centimeters already. It was a bit too late for them to try and put an emergency stitch in. Otherwise that's probably what they would have tried to do to hold hold him in a little bit longer. Um, and then, yeah, just from there, put me in a wheelchair, rushed me through to the labour ward. They Rob's described it as they pressed the red button and it was a Sunday afternoon. So as you can imagine, it was skeleton crew. And within 10, 15 minutes, everyone was in the room, you know, and he just came so quickly. I mean, I think the nurse... I don't, a midwife I'm not sure what she was to be honest I didn't get a chance to really pay attention but she was midway through examining me and she didn't even have a chance to swap over her gloves and he suddenly just popped out so I, I say it with a laugh because these are the nice little bits I try and remember you know I, I like the birth story because like it was actually really lovely even though I was in panic and in shock and they're the little bits I quite like remembering because um, he was doing so well when he came out you know he came out crying he came out wriggling he was breathing on his own he was just incredible um oh, that all happened so yeah. so quickly yeah yeah it was just within I think within a couple of hours of me going in he was there you so know there was no stopping any, him. um like a chance to have any steroids or anything like that they did inject me but by the time he arrived they, they probably wouldn't have had chance to yeah. to kick in but they did try yeah and um, when Aidan was born, was he sort of rushed off immediately? Did you get to hold him initially? Didn't get to hold him because he was so premature. I think they worried he wouldn't be able to breathe. His lungs wouldn't be fully developed. So the, the instant, you know, they, they did, they held, they, they wrapped him, they held him in front of me. I got to kiss his head. They showed him to Rob. Rob was just like, just do whatever you need to do. Just, yeah. just go and go and work on him. Um they had him in the room with us again timings I'm not very good at thinking what the timings were but probably 10 minutes 15 minutes they had him in the room kind of just wrapping him and cleaning him and checking him and then yeah they whisked him straight off into sort of their version of the NICU the neonatal intensive care unit um to intubate him just to help with his breathing to make sure he could breathe because mm -hmm. I think their biggest worry is the lungs haven't fully developed at that age um yeah, and then it, it it took probably it took another five hours or so before we were allowed to really see him again, um, which was really hard. But we did understand they needed to they needed to focus on him. You know, they checked me over a few times. I was fine. Um, yeah, and so they said they'd transfer him to 
Ashford, which is a bigger hospital in Kent, which has a better neonatal um, intensive care unit. So we saw him all wired up and tubed up in his little trolley um, before they were going to send him over there. And then we followed over in the car. So within six hours, I think, of me giving birth, I was in the car on my way to another hospital just so we could be with him. And when you arrived at that hospital, did you, I mean, did you get admitted to the hospital as well, having just given birth? Or I, I did. Again, I've heard all sorts of stories. So I'll only focus on mine because this is my experience. But yes, they found me a bed and a room, a private room. So even though it was on the labour ward, I wasn't in with a load of newborn babies, which to this day I'll be forever grateful for because I don't think I would have been able to do it. I think I would have gone home. Um so yeah, I had a private room just for two nights. And then yeah, the, the sort of the third day, they were like, look, you're okay. <laughs> as much as we'd love to to let you stay here as long as you want, we, we need the room. So I, I did understand that. But yeah, they, they were good in that first 48 hours. I had somewhere I could be, recover, you know, learn to try and pump, you know, and all the things that you don't even think you'll need to do mm. when your baby arrives. So and how, how that, that wait, that, that long wait of um, not seeing him for for five hours, what were you doing with yourselves in that time? Um, so I, for the first sort of hour, I was being cleaned up, re-scanned, checking everything had come out. And they had to sort of tug to get the, the rest of the placenta out, which wasn't very nice. Um, and then Rob went home, grabbed a few bits, knowing we might end up going over to Ashford. Um, and we were just in the room w- waiting, you know, just all the usual I have to like, te- they tested me for infections thinking, was that what caused him to come so early? You know, they sent, they sent everything off for testing. All, all of that came back as fine. So it, it, we were just waiting. I mean, I, I was in disbelief that he'd arrived. So Rob was the r- one ringing sort of his parents, my mum to say, just to let you know, you know, we've had the baby. He's as okay as he can be. Um, I didn't do any of that. I think it took me about a week probably to even, message anyone and acknowledge that this was really happening because I was just in this state of shock so I'm sure and when you arrived at Ashford um how much time were you able to spend with Aidan there we could we could spend 24 hours a day with him if we wanted to and that again I we're still in this post-covid era but I guess you know lucky isn't really a word I use when it comes to Aidan but there are certain aspects of his care that I feel we were lucky you know me and Rob were allowed in whenever we wanted at any time of day we were his parents they 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 knew we needed to be near him and we were there every single day not for 24 hours we had to sleep and you know feed the cat and all the, the boring stuff but um we were there for as much as we possibly could be um parents were allowed like my parents his parents would have been allowed in um but that was really hard. So my mum is in Kent, so she was able to visit him. Um, but Rob's parents are in Ireland and they're getting, you know, they're a bit older. So, it, yeah, the hardest bit for me, I know it's gone slightly off topic, but only my mum and me and Rob met him. So it feels like because no one else met him, it's very hard for them to uh, kind of think of him as like yeah. a living baby, if that makes sense. But yeah. yeah. And how long were you at the hospital for? And talk us through what kind of happened next. Yeah, so those first two days were just a case of every time we'd go and see him, like we'd just be in tears because, you know, he was so, so, so tiny. I mean, not everyone's held or seen a a six-month baby, so it's hard to 
picture, but he was absolutely tiny. He didn't even fit in the, the premature nappies, obviously, that, you know, they were like coming up to here on him, you know, on his chest. And it was just really hard because all the, and the beeping, I think we've still got a little, without using the phrase lightly, I think we've still got a little bit of that post-traumatic sort of stress from the noises. So he was tubed up with like a long line in his arm, which give, gave him sort of all the, drugs I guess that he needed and anything in case they needed to quickly put something in him this long line helped with that um he was he wasn't intubated after a couple of days he was all right to breathe with a CPAP so they had like this tiny tiny little CPAP over his nose and the companies who make these are just phenomenal because mm -hmm. like they're just incredible and they're they're sort of it's hard to say on a, on a camera but they're like that big that they're, they're like an inch wide and you just don't you can't picture these sorts of things until you see them. So he was hooked up to all of that. Um, he had like a heart monitor. He had like a blood pressure monitor. He had all these things on him. They were doing heel pricks every day. So it was really traumatic seeing such a tiny little baby, one that you so desperately just want to hold and pick up and give a cuddle and you can't because he's too fragile. And, you know, he had his um, light therapy for jaundice, which most premature babies need a little bit. So I'd, every time we saw him, we were just so happy that he was there and he was fighting and he was doing so well, almost disbelieving that he had arrived and at the same time really scared because we knew how he might not make it, even though we never thought like that. We always thought he'd come home, but we knew there'd be risks. Um, and we were told constantly the biggest risk for premature babies is infection. Um, but you just, you kind of hope, obviously, that that, that won't happen. So... What was the um, like the prognosis? The doctors were obviously updating you regularly, and and what were they saying at that time? Yeah, so I mean, they they couldn't tell us he's doing really well because he was so little, and anything can happen. So I think what they were trying to do, and we were lucky with the lead consultant at the hospital at Ashford, he was very good at explaining kind of everything in in layman's terms so he would draw us pictures he would like you know point things out to us so Aiden had like his heart valves weren't all properly fused but he said that would probably fix itself that's normal um you know he said it's too early to test for certain like brain activities and stuff obviously he was he was as okay as he could be but you know things like would his hearing be okay they, it, he was too little to test that would have been later same with his eyesight he was opening his eyes you know he was crying um yeah, so that they kept us up to date constantly. They did rounds like twice a day, every day. And if we were there through one of those rounds, they'd talk to us about all of their findings, which was really nice. They were very open about it. Mm. Um, you know, they were really happy he didn't need to be intubated. So that made us feel really happy that he could breathe on his own. Um, yeah, there were there were lots of things they, they were telling us could go wrong. You know, he might crash, but then he might do OK. And it's sometimes two steps forward, five steps back with with premature babies. So we had all of this information and Robert actually done a bit more reading. I don't think I could bring myself to do it, but he was reading about sort of what might Aiden be like in a few months time if he survives and comes out of hospital? What might he be like? You know, what might not be quite right? You know, might he have difficulties? Um Whereas I just couldn't even bring myself to read that because in my mind, I just wanted him to, to be okay. I couldn't yeah. see past him getting out of hospital. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and it was 13 days he was in there before he died. So it was two weeks worth of sort of driving nearly an hour each way. But we, we didn't even, I think it just went in such a blur. I don't even remember the journeys. I just remember being there. Yeah. 
And did during those 13 days, were they, did he, um, did his health decline? Was it a slow decline or? No, that's, that's why I think it hit us kind of in the way it did. So every single day he was getting better. His stats were getting better. His monitors were reading, you know, he wasn't beeping as much. So his pressure wasn't, his blood pressure like wasn't moving around too much. He, he constantly, I can't remember all the terminology to be honest, but he constantly, it's like his blood gases were checked constantly. They were okay. His infection markers were down. So that was okay. He came off the CPAP and he got put onto high flow oxygen, which was a step up. He got moved into the high dependency unit, which is a step up from the NICU. Um, everything was going in the right direction. So we were just, I mean, the, the last night we saw him uh, alive and well, was the Friday, the the 16th of September last year. And we'd we'd held him all day. Like we'd been allowed to hold him a few days prior and we had him on us. And I've got some be like beautiful photos of him. And he just like nuzzled in between, you know, my boobs. And he was just so happy and content. And he, we just, that night we went home and we, we even had a glass of wine and said, he, we think he's going to be okay. And it was overnight that night is when he went downhill. Um, so he, he basically, what the doctors think happened is a little bit of E. coli that lives in all of our gut. They think it kind of went through his his gut because it was so thin and not fully, fully sort of developed as it should be into his bloodstream and caused E. coli sepsis. And that's what that's what killed him is that, you know, they, they couldn't they didn't see it quickly enough either. So even if they'd seen it and pumped him full of antibiotics, given him a blood transfusion, all the things they could have done that still might not have saved him because as you know, sepsis is something that, you know, it can, it can kill a fully grown adult, let alone a little premature baby. So um, yeah, that's, that's kind of what happened. And just nobody knew that would happen. Everyone thought he'd be okay because he'd been doing so well. What so. was the first, first you heard of this? Did you get a phone call in the night? No, so they didn't actually call us. And that's one of the things they apologised for and admitted they kind of need to be better at that. And part of me feels frustrated we didn't get more time to spend with him. But they did ring us at 7am to say he hadn't done very well overnight. He's back on an intubator. He's back in the NICU. But he's stable. So at seven o'clock in the morning, we're thinking, and I, do you know what? I woke up just before they called. No alarm set. Something in me. I woke up at about 10 to 7 and I looked at my phone, the first thing I did every single time I woke up and I went, they've not sent us a, a video of him overnight. And they'd always, every night, they'd sent us a little video of him using this app. That's lovely. Um, it's really lovely, actually. Photos, videos of him being like having his mask changed. And mm. I woke up and I just felt weird because I was like, there's, there's nothing there. Why isn't there anything there? And Rob's like, oh, I'm sure he's fine. Then I get the phone call at seven. We go in, we, we went in a couple of hours later, we didn't even rush in because they said, oh, you know, he's stable, he's okay, he's just, you know, he was a little bit sick overnight. And by the time we got there, um, yeah, they were doing everything they could to work on him. And by then it was already way too late. We've obviously now in hindsight, it was probably too late at three o'clock in the morning. But yeah, they just, they were so busy figuring out what to do. I think they just didn't even think to call us in to spend time with him. So when we saw him, he was hooked up to, it was, it's like called a flutter ventilator. So it kind of shakes the body, which was quite traumatic because um, he was so tiny. It just looked really bizarre. Um, they tried to give him a blood transfusion and so I don't want to go into too much detail, but at the same time, like he, he literally, you saw the color in him change and 
it was just really his stomach was all distended and bloated and we asked lots of questions about could he be transferred somewhere and they just said he's not stable enough to be transferred and oh it was it was just a few hours of us constantly hoping that something miraculous would happen to make him to make him better and like I just remember the exact moment that the consultant looked up at us both and just said I'm sorry there's nothing we can do um have you got someone you can call and we're thinking well yeah no not really um so I rang my mum I texted her and she she came in and was there with us it's a bit blur I can't really remember how long she was there for but yeah and then they just said would you like to hold him and sort of handed us Aiden he still had his high flow ventilator he had his intubator in and we just held him until yeah he kind of had gone it was it was just and we were just like they put a screen around his um cot but we were still in a room with like three other other babies and other people um so yeah it was, it was just yeah it's horrible there's <laughs> um you kind of have flashbacks to it like I'm sure everyone does who's suffered with with whatever type of loss you just have these flashbacks and you can sort of feel it like I can feel how I felt back then when it happened I remember Rob like walking down and just wanting to like punch a wall because like how else can you even describe how you feel and we were just again I don't there wasn't really anything else they could have done at the time in terms of us, but there was nowhere for us to go at that particular moment when we handed him back and they were going to clean him up and, and dress him. They offered for us to, but I think we were just a bit too traumatized. And I think this is something that a lot of people talk about in grief groups is what do you do when your baby dies? Do you spend time with them or not? And I think it's very personal for us because we'd had Aiden for two weeks and he was alive and we'd cuddled him and fed him through the tube and, cleaned him and wiped you know changed his nappy and done all of that with him alive I just the thought of doing it once he died I just I couldn't bring myself to do it and Rob was the same so we did have him in a little Moses basket in the room with us but I almost felt claustrophobic because it was like this isn't my little baby I've just spent two weeks caring for this he, he didn't look the same he didn't you know everything and I just we did we were with him in the room for probably an hour, an hour and a half, did a little blessing with him. And I just couldn't bring myself to keep going back to that. Like I wanted to remember him alive and crying and wriggling and all of those types of things. So it's, yeah, it was, looking back, I wouldn't have changed anything because that's how I reacted at the time. But I suppose everyone would like to spend more time with their baby, wouldn't they? But I just think, yeah, it was at the time that was our decision. So I think it, like we talk about this a lot it's you do the best that you can with the information that you have at the time don't you yeah yeah I'm so glad that you you have no regrets because I think people can beat themselves up for you know something that, that, that they should have done or and you're right it is so so personal and I guess like you said the fact that you had him for 13 days alive and well and made those memories and got those photos and did all of those those lovely things. I think, um, I mean, often when people don't have that time, they really want to spend spend the time with their baby because that's the only, the only time that they have, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm so glad that you don't have any regrets. I'm yeah. so sorry. It's just, so this was September 2022? yeah just over a year ago yeah and so how's how's life been since then for you 
Yeah, it's, it's well, you probably know it's a strange question to answer, really, isn't it? So, I mean, in the first couple of months, it was just survival. I mean, Rob's sister got the train down from Chester, where she lives, and spent a night with us just to be there. My mum obviously was wasn't. I mean, just to put it in perspective, I lost my dad last January as well to a horrible illness, and so my mum was very much in her grief with that while then we were going through and through this and I was very close to my dad so I think I was still in that grief stage with my dad so I think the first few months after losing Aiden I just think I shut down I just went into this kind of I didn't really want to leave the house I didn't really want to talk to anyone like people were trying to support us in the best way they could and I, I felt like I just had nothing to say because I just like I can't you know, people want to fix things, don't they? People want to make things better. People naturally want to make you okay. And there was nothing anyone could have done and still can't to make us okay with what had happened. And I do think that was the biggest struggle is like I've lost, not lost, but I've lost contact with people through this. You know, people have, I don't want to use the word avoided because they might not feel they've avoided me, but I feel they've avoided me because they can't cope with it. And I just feel like screaming, imagine what I'm going through. Like mm. you can't cope with my pain. Imagine how it is when you're the one in pain. So I think those first few months were were just a blur of people trying to kind of get in touch to check in on us, but also kind of not really knowing what to do. So some lovely friends sent us some freezer meals because it's all they could think to help. And that was amazing. And it really did help us. You know, I had people just checking in and texting, not expecting a reply, which massively helps. You know, the people that would just, once a week just message and like I'm thinking of you when you're ready like we'll talk um had a few people offer to sort of chat to me and then when I got back in touch with them didn't really hear from them again and I suppose it's just this is you it's a learning curve going through this sort of grief you don't know how you or people are going to react and for us we just needed people around us that weren't going to judge anything weren't going to ask too many questions and we're just going to let us be angry sad <laughs> in pain we just needed that we didn't we didn't want anyone to come in and try and make us feel better because we just couldn't yeah um, so yeah I'd say the first few months were just an absolute blur and then I, I got to a stage Rob went back to work but kind of on reduced hours he kind of did a phased return and it was a new job and actually they were very good they were very understanding um of what he went through um my job obviously I went instantly onto maternity um was entitled like anyone to, to full maternity leave um they I took six months off in the end maternity and went back part-time on a bit of a phased return and my team at the time they were just phenomenal my manager was amazing I I cannot imagine having gone through this at many other places um just because they were so supportive of me so in all the horrible things that have happened I really try and hold on to the things that I look back now and think thank god for them at the time and I think my team um, what do you do Katie what's your job so I've changed jobs since then so I but I worked at the University of Kent um in the business school and so the business school team were my little team the marketing team specifically and they were just um I think you know one of the girls that worked there um <laughs> she's who put me in touch with you so um they were just absolutely incredible I, I the support was just ridiculous they would check in on me but then they would let me talk they would ask me questions they would they would listen basically to what I said I needed and they would react to that 
and that's really hard for people to do sometimes but yep. they did it amazingly it's really hard it's but isn't it amazing amazing how simple it is actually yeah. to help someone in their grief is all you have to do is listen to them yeah and and then reflect what they want you to do and how you how they want you to to be around them that's all you have yeah. to do listen and validate it's is so so important so so you took six months off and then you went back and how was it sort of returning to that fuller place of of life yeah I was I was really nervous because I'd only worked at the uni being pregnant with Aiden because I hadn't been there long when I found out oh I'm pregnant um so yeah I I, I didn't know what it was like to just be me at that job so mm. I was really nervous um but they welcomed me back so brilliantly and I'd had a couple of meetings with them off campus and in different places before I went back and so I just I didn't my first day back it felt much easier than I thought it was going to I think the thing with sort of grief baby loss grief specifically maybe is it just hits you at the most random times and triggers aren't always obvious so it might not be a pregnant woman that triggers you it could be something really ridiculous that triggers you because it just makes you think about it or it reminds you of what you could have had or or whatever it might be so there were times I'd be absolutely fine and I'd say probably like 90% of the time while I was at work I felt okay because I was sort of distracted um but then yeah there'd be the most random mention of someone coming back from maternity leave and it would just completely set me off but I'd kind of do that in my own way I didn't I didn't want everyone around me to kind of be brought down with how I was feeling like I'm quite open with my feelings and I'll cry if I need to cry but at work I kind of just wanted I didn't want it to be a place of constant grief if that makes sense I'd almost I wanted to go back to work to try not to be in that place all the time um and it did it worked for me um so yeah I'm very grateful to that team so the warriorship we wanted to come and tell you a little bit about it didn't we bex and in case you're already going why we don't want to know about a fucking ship the warriorship is our online membership for warriors in this community it's packed full of stuff so we just want to tell you about some of the stuff all of the content from all of the courses that we ever run is in the warriorship so there's loads to get your teeth into and we are also developing modules for what happens after but not only that we've also got a ton of educational workshops running once a month in the coming months we have got body positivity workshop gratitude workshop and loads 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 more and on top of that we also have a resident mental health specialist and on top of that if that wasn't enough there's 13 events every month and there's stuff popping up all the time as well that other people are organizing that you can be a part of so it really is thriving and all you have to do is head to the link in our bio or visit our website and you can be a part of this too we love to see you there I remember in one job that I had, I um, used to, I worked with some older ladies and they would always be talking about their grandchildren. Mm. And so, you know, you always think about the triggers, like you say, being around pregnant women and, you know, working, working with people who are of a similar age, but actually the old dears and their knitting used to drive me up the wall. <laughs> they don't necessarily have... I know you've talked to me before, Laura, about um, your older clients who uh, don't have that level of kind of 
self-awareness or mm. you know quite old school in how they deal with emotion that that must be challenging <laughs> yeah and but, but you, you don't feel like you can say anything because you're like oh they're they're old and they're set in their ways and you know they're not not being malicious just rise above it let it go yeah, I think there's definitely, there were a couple of moments of people, oh, well, are you going to try again? And I'm just like, wow. Like, I'm, like that. No. and I know this gets talked about so much with people saying the wrong thing and not meaning to and, you know, just saying insensitive things. But I, I genuinely, like, it used to really wind me up. But actually, the longer through this journey I'm going, the more I think they're just panic reacting to something yeah. that they don't know how to talk about. And we actually, always, um, it's... An yeah. analogy that I've always used for these people is that it's like they come they come to you with their kind of emotional filing cabinet and they, they're looking for something to say to you to make it better and then they get to a section on baby loss and there's nothing there. Mm. They sort of panic and try and stick this big emotional plaster over it. As you said earlier, Katie, it's because they are uncomfortable. They're uncomfortable with your grief. And we, we did a whole post on almost exactly what you said about like, if my pain causes you discomfort, like imagine what it's doing to me. Yeah. And it isn't anyone's fault, particularly. It's, you know, societally, it's unfortunately how we've dealt with baby loss for decades, you know, forever. Um, which is why it's so important to normalize these conversations and make the topic a lot more approachable and under understood and 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 really op open up the dialogue, Laura. Don't know if you know that one. Don't know if you said that one before. <laughs> but open up the dialogue so not just to make not just to make the people that go through it make their lives easier but actually to give an awareness to everyone else that that this is what other people are going through and it's not one or two other people you know it's it's one in four pregnancies end in loss so there will be someone that you know who is going through it now or has been through it recently or will go through it in the next couple of months and wouldn't it be lovely if that person could go through it and not feel isolated, which is the number one feeling that women who go through loss, baby loss, report as, as having felt is, is isolation. And when you go through such a horrific life experience as you've been through, how nice would it be to not feel alone? How nice would it be to be able to talk about Aiden? in a normal way without being worried about who you're going to make feel uncomfortable or about being judged or about someone saying to you, Oh, at least you can try again, or at least, you know, you can get pregnant. Mm -hmm. At least you knew, you know, any, anything, any sentence starting with at least imagine if you could talk about your son without fearing that someone's going to minimize your grief by starting with one of those sentences. Wouldn't that be a wonderful world to live in? It would be. Yes, it would. Mm. oh well, that's what we're working on anyway one day yeah and I think I'm definitely pushing and that's why you know I resonate with what you guys talk about and what you what you're trying to do because I, I feel that so strongly now as well I feel so like you know I am not not going to talk about Adam because if he was still alive everyone would want to know about him so why don't they now fine he hasn't reached those milestones other babies do he didn't get to one year old he didn't learn to walk he didn't learn to crawl but he could have and actually like you say it's minimizing someone's pain or life just by almost 
kind of just ignoring the fact that they had a baby and that's how it's felt on and off. I mean, I've opened up quite a lot to people in my life about what's happened. My new job, I've only been there a few months. I've told probably at least 10 people what's happened and I've been met with a range of, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't know what to say. Absolutely fine. Of course you don't. You've not had to go through this. That's understandable. To one lady yesterday or the day before and she broke down in tears not because she's been through it, because she's just a very empathetic person. Um, mm. And then I've had other people who instantly try and liken it to something they've been through. And it's just, it's oh, incredible no. how different everyone reacts to it. But there's a lot of questions asked on baby loss groups I've noticed of, how do you react when someone asks, have you got children? And since the day Aiden arrived, I have said to people, I have a son, he didn't make it, you know, he didn't survive. And you can see they're kind of like, oh, God, I wish I hadn't asked that question. But I don't really let them have that moment. I sort of just go in and tell them what happened. Um, yeah, and I would say most of the time people don't react badly. I've had to learn to deal with people's silence. That's the hardest bit. But actually, that's for me to deal with. You know, it's I can't expect them to suddenly know what to say. I think the but, silence as well comes from like a real fear of of upsetting you further yeah you know it's this real common misconception that if you don't talk about it then it won't be thought about and if you don't think about it then it won't be upsetting whereas when you lose a baby you think about it all the time and actually it's so it's just sort of it's so misunderstood that um you want to talk about it like you, I would I would love someone to ask me about my experience of baby loss because I would want to tell them about what happened and and you know, all the other things surround, surrounding that to try and help them understand so they could then take that information and go and help someone else with it. And then, yeah, so all of that stuff, it's so important to talk about. And, and it's not through, it's so important to remember that because I think there is this, um, there is this feeling within the baby loss community is that it, it's an anger with people who don't understand it. It's an anger with people that don't say anything. And I totally understand that. But I don't think that, being angry when people don't understand is the right move because that will just silence them further because they don't they're so worried that they're going to say the wrong thing whereas actually if we kindly educate people in how to support and understand and, and what to say then that's how we're gonna get everyone in this in this together get everyone supporting and, and supported yeah and it's like that's exactly what you're doing and people's silence you know when you say when you tell their story people's silence it must be so painful for you that they don't know what to say and, and they don't know what to do. But the next person they speak to, because you've been so articulate in explaining your grief and your pain, then they will have more of a clue and, and they won't perhaps be as silent for as long as they'll, or, or perhaps they'll think back to your conversation and say, Oh, I've, I met a lady who's been, who's been through that before. And isn't that a wonderful thing as well to be able yeah. to pass, pass that on. So the next person who goes through this, this heartbreak. Yeah feel slightly more supported yeah I fully agree and you know people have said to me oh you must be so brave and I think you're and I think that's really lovely and I'm not going to diminish them saying something really like lovely to me but the only reason I feel so able to talk about it is because I'm doing it for Aiden in my head he deserves to be talked about just as much as anyone else's children so mm. I'm not going to take away from the fact that he was and is our baby boy 
And, you know, we're so proud of him and exact, we feel exactly the same way for him as people do with their children. So why, why wouldn't we talk about him? And I know not everyone has the ability to do that for various reasons, but I just think it's all for him. You know, everything I've done or talked about or, or anything since he arrived has all been because I want him to be known about and I want him to, to yeah, I want people to be proud of him and how strong he was and how much he fight, fought for his life and all those things people probably don't really think about because he was so tiny and he was a baby. But I mean, he had more strength in two weeks than some people in their whole lives, you know, and I think he deserves to be talked about. So. Absolutely. And, and following um, Aidan's death, did you go to any sort of groups and counselling or grief sort of um, with other lost parents? Yeah, so we were, again, I use the word fortunate because I feel like we are in this this instance. So we were given NHS bereavement counselling for baby loss specifically. Um, the lady we had it with is just phenomenal. You know, me and Rob say without her, we don't know what we would have done in those first few months. Um, she was, she'd been through a couple of um, really sad um you know instances with with her family I won't go into it's not for me to say but she was she just understood everything we were feeling we were saying we were thinking she just made us feel validated which is the point I think of going yeah. to bereavement counselling you need to feel like it's not your fault you need to feel like you know everything you're feeling is absolutely okay to feel because you know it, it is one of those situations where there is no right or wrong way to be um, so we're really grateful to her for being there for us. And she has really been there for us. Um, and then Sands is probably the place I, I'm just so grateful they exist. I know, you know, Tommy's is there. There's, there's so many different groups and forums you can go on to, but Sands was the one I turned to. Um, and I'm just, yeah, really grateful for the fact I could talk to women and, you know, you'll understand this and anyone who's been through this will understand this. But I think a lot of people who haven't don't when I say I needed to know other people were struggling like I was. I needed yeah. to know I wasn't going crazy with my grief. So actually having this forum where hundreds of mostly women, because it's mostly women who generally join these forums in my experience, are there talking about how they feel and how how hard it is and why am I thinking this why am I I needed that and I think Sands and those other groups offer that um so I think they're just, just so important so for me a mixture of counseling talking joining group everything basically I just tried to do as much as possible um to to find some kind of not even normal but just to find some level of existence where I wasn't just constantly crying <laughs> or um feeling like I couldn't just do normal daily tasks yeah, there's and a lot to be said for being surrounded by people who understand because we, we talk about it a lot but people in our lives the people who we love the most in the whole world don't always really understand they don't don't they don't get it and that can be really really difficult because the usual people that you turn to for support aren't always the right people um so it's amazing that these communities are out there mm -hmm. so good and that was so um you lost Aiden in in the September so how was that first Christmas because we're obviously coming up to Christmas now but and it's I know lots and lots of women within the community are really struggling at the moment so that must have been a hell of a thing to go through so quickly after after Aiden died 
Yeah, so he's he was due at the end of November. So we'd planned um, for my mum to go spend Christmas with my brother. He lives in Australia, um, which was the plan anyway, just because we'd have a newborn in the house. And obviously, you know, we just needed to, we wanted to like hunker down and kind of yeah. enjoy that time. So because she was already sort of booked in to, to go and do that, I think when it, when he died and we started actually thinking, oh God, it's December, we just could, I don't think we could even really, think about it so we did we didn't get a tree we didn't do anything we didn't decorate we didn't we just we didn't have it in us to do anything so we booked and literally went to the Isle of Wight for three days over Christmas in a little cabin away from everyone away from everything told everyone we might not have any signal because we didn't want the pressure of having to wish people a happy Christmas when we were so miserable um and we just spent three days pretty much just crying um but it, it felt nice that we were sort of in hiding um, I don't know, some people might go the opposite and almost want to be surrounded by people, but we just we just couldn't. We couldn't cope with people saying things like Happy Christmas or, you know, bringing in the new year or reflecting on their year. Because for us, it had just been, well, I'd been through three losses in that year, my dad, my grandma and Aidan, and I just couldn't cope with anyone trying to put a positive spin on something because in my head there was just nothing positive about anything that was happening so Christmas was horrific last year as I'm sure it is for many and this year is my birthday yesterday so with my birthday and Christmas I find December's a really tough month because I'm like I'm another year older still don't have a baby you know I want Aiden here he should be celebrating this I should be getting a card saying happy birthday mommy you know all those things that I feel have been stolen from me um so yeah, I'm feeling very emotional this week compared to probably what I was three weeks ago. You can just, it's like inside, you can feel it. Um, so and yeah. how was your birthday yesterday? Happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, it was It was nice. Like, you know, Rob made it really nice and we, we just stayed in, mum pop round, you know, we, we bought our Christmas tree, we decorated it this year. It's nice having one this year, but it also reminds me of you know what we should have so it's it's just it's bittersweet I think is is how I feel this month at the moment so one of our um we're running a a, a a sort of very very small Christmas course at the moment and on one of our calls the other day a lady who lost her little boy earlier this year has um has bought him like a memorial Christmas decoration to hang on the tree and she said that just the act of doing that and and choosing it and putting it on a special branch of the tree was really, really helpful for her to grieve. And I think um, I think there's something really big in that, in that having something tangible to say, this is my, this is for my baby and this is what I'm doing is is really special. And it around this time of year as well, when you just, it's not just about, you know, fairy lights and presence is it it's about I think personally I think about Christmas is about remembering mm-hmm. who should be there and and celebrating yeah. them as well as 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 part of the family yeah no I agree with you I mean I think you know last year was first Christmas without my dad as well as without Aidan as well as without my gran and I think it was just too much I think yeah. is probably the way to say it. it was too much to deal with um Whereas this year is definitely going to be more a year of reflection. Um, 
I mean, Rob's mum bought a gorgeous silver rocking horse with Aidan's name on it, which we hung up yesterday and, you know, posted it and sent a photo back to her. One of my other friends bought us a little Christmas tree decoration with A on it. Um, and another friend got, well, she asked her nan to knit Aidan a little bear. So he's now in the tree as well. So oh, I feel feel really grateful that we've got people around us who have acknowledged him in that way. And that, that was all from last year into this year. And we bought him a little um, like octopus made of beads because when he was in the Niku, he got given like a little octopus toy um, with the little, you know, the little I don't know, tentacles or they're called. Um, and it was to emulate the umbilical cord. And that's why they give them to little premature babies. You, you might have seen them. Um, so we got him that and that's sort of sitting on the mantle. And we, you know, we chose to have Aiden um, cremated. So we've still got him, you know, we, we don't feel like we can ever part with him. Maybe in the future we'll, we'll do something, but he's with us, you know, he's on the mantelpiece. We've got his little hand and footprints, but pushed out, so in plaster, so we can sort of tickle his feet. <laughs> and people never know what to, not what to think when we say that, but actually we go up and we like, we touch his hand and we, we tickle his toes and it sounds really weird, but we did that when he was in the Niku. So it feels really nice to be able to do that. So we've, we've tried to put as many parts of him around the house as, as we feel we would have if he was here. Um, it's difficult, but you, you, like you say, you need the act of doing that. It does kind of bring you something, whatever that thing is. Um, and I, yeah, I love being surrounded by memories of him. So, and how does the future look? I mean, are you thinking about trying to have another baby, or is that just a different like world from you right now? No, we have we have been. I had a miss miscarriage earlier this year around Rob's 40th. Um, so yeah, went for our 12 week scan. Having had one at six weeks, everything was fine. And it hadn't really grown since that six weeks because I was on a load of progesterone pessaries. It just kept everything in. And so that that was hard. Had to go like take the tablets and experience that. Um, and then more recently at the end of August, had a five week miscarriage. Um, so yeah, and okay. it's it's just it's just crap you know there's no and I'm, I'm honest with people about it you know there's no point hiding it um I mean there's probably a whole nother conversation around the feeling of not being able to get pregnant again after loss but it's yeah it's, it's coming to terms with a lot of different things all in a short space of time um it's just really it's difficult it's so hard I'm so sorry that that the year you've had has followed the loss of Aiden that's just it's so unfair it is unfair, but I don't know. It just, for me, it sounds quite, probably sounds a bit o over the top, but like we, me and Rob have chosen that we want to live life, you know, after loss. So for me, that is just trying to do things and trying to still enjoy the life we have. Because I think for me, I don't want to spend 40 years feeling depressed. I don't want that for myself. It's not something I... I, I just couldn't do it. So as much as we have these times that are really hard and really horrible, and don't get me wrong, like there's yesterday I was in tears yesterday evening because I just felt horrible for no reason in particular. It just, it hits you, doesn't it, at the most random times. But I don't want to stop trying and stop living either because I think, you know, what's the point? <laughs> um, you know, if, if you if you don't try and make the best of what you can so yeah it's been horrific and I, I wouldn't lie to people and say it hasn't been horrific but I also don't want that to be the rest of my life and it's it's hard figuring that out that's the bit yeah. I'm stuck at the moment on so it's, I think that's a completely 
I think it's completely inspirational that that you have the strength of character to be able to see that for yourself and you know the the ability to self-reflect on on your life in that way um and I think that this this in this podcast episode is going to be so so good for so many people who have been in your situation and um yeah yeah um can people do you have like an Instagram account that people can sort of follow and get in touch with you or so mine mine is private but um I'm more than happy for people to get in touch so yeah I mean my Instagram is just Kate the letter KT Wells 1986 I think bit of a giveaway or 86 I don't know and I'm happy to to connect with people um the reason I I haven't got a public one is I've just not really there's so many out there already I feel like I'd rather just support ones that are already there as opposed to creating a whole new one um but I'd love to chat to people you know just in terms of kind of things I've done have I got time just to go through a few bits I've done for Aiden so um, for me, like I said, it's really important to remember him. So we saw that the RNLI offer you to sponsor their lifeboats and have your loved one's name on them. So we did that for Aidan. So we went to see the lifeboat when it was built down in Portsmouth in Poole. And we got to go and see his name on the side of the lifeboat and touch it and take photos. And then it's now based up in Whitby. And on their first um, patrol of the boat, a massive pod of dolphins swam alongside it which is really rare especially up there and it was there was a news story on it um so we feel like Aiden's now helping to save lives at sea and when I say that it just makes me feel it gives me goosebumps and it just makes yeah, me feel really proud of him careful. yeah and it, we're just so grateful to to do things like that and and just so many things we had a bench made and it's got his name on it and it was carved locally by a really lovely guy um and he carved into the side of the bench a, a dog which represents one of Rob's old dogs that he loved and it's got Aiden's name it's got granddad on there for my dad you know we're trying to keep his memory alive in so many ways I've raised we've raised money for Sands by hosting a local ribbon display during baby loss awareness week and I know not everyone will be able to do everything and there's certain things I'd love to do more of but you need you need to feel you can do it at the time you're doing it and I think when we booked this meeting in, I probably felt a lot stronger than I do now. But as soon as I start talking about him, I just, I find I can't stop. (laughs) Um, So I just, for anyone, I would say you you can only do what feels right for you. You can't force it, but I don't think you'll ever regret talking about your baby more and more. I think, you know, don't be shy to talk about them because they are yours. And why wouldn't you want to, you know? I think just through, I mean, the love, the love is, oh, I'm going to cry, sorry. <laughs> you set me off if you did. <laughs> it's just so, I can just feel your love through everything that you said. And it's just so lovely to be able to, I feel privileged to have been able to remember Aidan with you. Thank you. Yeah, that's what I hope for. So, yeah, <laughs> I, I want people to talk about him like he's awesome because he is and he was, you know, so... Oh, Katie, thank you so much for joining us. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I know this Christmas will be super tough in so many, so many ways, but I yeah. really hope that you can spread, continue to spread the joy that you have for your little boy. Um, thank you. And keep in touch with us. And I hope that, um, that some people get in touch with you because I think that you'll be so helpful to them in just you know share sharing Aiden and that's exactly what you're doing and that's exactly why 
why this community is so helped by people like you because it gives them the the courage to be able to share their own stories which is how this whole thing is gonna help others in the future yeah no I hope so and yeah people have helped me so if I can do anything to help others then yeah hopefully hopefully that works so thank you for thanks for letting me tell mine and Aidan's story thank you for sharing his story it's been really lovely chatting to you um yeah keep in touch let us know how you're getting on and um I hope that you have a gentle Christmas yeah no it should be um yeah it's already feeling better than last year which you know time heals but yeah I think as long as we talk about him all the time I think we'll 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 get there you know whatever there is so yeah thank you thank you so much Katie and take care of yourself yeah speak to you both soon thank you Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.